The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. All right, so this is, this is the time that uh, we normally have a, uh, like a prayer of confession um, or, or sometimes like a, a pastoral prayer, and, and we just wanted to take the time um, to, to, to pray for the conflict in Ukraine. Um, my name is Nate. I'm one of the elders here if, if uh, we don't know each other, um, but I'd like to pray this now, so would you join me, please? Father God, we are concerned and distressed as we hear the details of the war in Ukraine. As one church in America, we are powerless to bring peace to this conflict. But we know that you're the God who calms seas and rescues nations with but a whisper. And so we ask for your help now. Realizing that there's a certain level of comfort that is only available to those that know you, we still pray for believers and non-believers alike. Please protect the people of Ukraine from the dangers of war, the loss of home, of family, of country and of life. Protect them also from spiritual attacks of despair and doubt. As they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, help them to know your nearness. At the same time, please glorify yourself by frustrating the plans of evil men and crushing their pride. Let the world see that many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Next, Father, let the darkness of war be a tool in your skilled hands to draw people to yourself. Let it expose the frailty of the physical and awaken the spiritually dead to the bigger reality of the joy of knowing you. And help those who are fearful and confused to find true hope in Jesus Christ. Thirdly, please equip your people who are in the midst of the turmoil with strength and wisdom so that they can know how best to serve those around them. Help them to be tireless servants with the vision to focus on what is most needed in the moment. Where action is needed, give them quick feet and strong hands. Where words are needed, let grace and truth flow from their mouths. Let your church shine brightly at this time. And lastly, Father, please provide for the needy. There is an entire nation of very needy people right now. Let the neighboring countries welcome the refugees with families making room for weary strangers. Cause countries with influence to use it for peace, not allowing personal comfort as an excuse to remain disengaged. Let food, shelter, and clothing, and medical care be in full supply. And help us, as individuals here at the Refuge Church, know how you would call us to participate. You are the God of justice and the Prince of Peace. Please bring both into this conflict now, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Good morning. I always like never know how to do this. Like this part, like I have a little pulpit humor. I was thinking about this this morning. And like Daniel always stands kind of like this. And I see this almost as like the side saddle position, right? I kind of stand like this, which I call this like hoverboarding. You're like hoverboarding, right? And I feel like people that do this are kind of like free falling. And I'm free, right? You get that vibe. 
I'm not comfortable for the free fall yet. I, I haven't made it there. I'm going to free fall one day. I'm a hoverboarder. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we just thank you so much that we can come together and share your word, that we can be amazed by you, that we can grow in our love for you. And I pray that when we leave here, we would be more excited and more passionate about what we have in you. Be with us. Amen. I have kind of like this echo. Is there a way we could, it might be a turn down kind of thing? Yeah? All right, cool. If it's just me, then that's fine. That's fine. Okay, so here's our intro this morning. You have been stolen from, and what has been taken cannot be replaced with money. It is your very life that has been lost. Jesus says in John 10.10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This sermon series will show how your life was lost and how Jesus can restore a new and full life. These eight principles are also called the road to recovery and is part of Celebrate Recovery. We hope that many of you who find new life in Christ will choose to help others be restored to life. Through Celebrate Recovery at the Coffee Oasis, in case you guys didn't know, we are also in the Coffee Oasis today. <clears throat> Some things are too good to keep to yourself. One would only have to look around for a few moments to realize that our culture heavily believes this. Look at our billboards driving down the hallway, or, or down the highway, not the hallway, <laughs> showing off the new food items or products, you know, the Big Macs and the, and the pizzas that we know are glued down and pulled apart. I'm just kidding. We also come face to face with it in our social media. People showing off their weight loss fads and diets, inviting others to join them in six crazy weeks. <laughs> People going on dream vacations. You know, they always have the drink on the stand and the beach in the background, and there's a couple, you know, gently placed footsteps. Um, people showing off the new car they bought and its new features. My father-in-law just got this orange Jeep. It's beautiful. People showing off grandma's recipe for pickled beets. Guys, if that hits a little too close to home, I'm sorry. I'm also from a country background. Even people showing off their meals that they get at nice restaurants, right? It doesn't even have a bite taken out of it yet, or maybe it does, but it's very small because it's such an elegant dish. Are we all guilty of that on some level? We like to share things that we believe are important. We share things that we enjoy. We share things that have made a difference. We share things that we think are just too good to keep to ourselves. Recently, an occurrence happened at my work that was too good for the person that was involved not to share, but then they took it even a step further. Some of you who are not aware, I am the youth program manager out of Port Orchard, and I have a team 
of a few employees. Some are youth engagement workers that work with youth directly, kind of building these fun events and, and uh, activities for the kids to do. And they're interfacing with them, shooting pool, having fun, um, conversating with them, getting to know them. And then I have a couple other staff that are like goal setting youth development workers who talk about what's it going to take for you to do this goal, whether that's housing, whether that's getting a new job, whether it's getting back into school. And so that's part of what the Coffee Oasis does. We meet kids and we share with them resources that can help them in their life's journey, all while sharing the gospel. So when you have worked for the Coffee Oasis as long as I have, one of the greatest things that can happen is when a youth goes through one of our programs and then really gets it. They get it so much that they're excited that they're telling other youth about it so that they realize that that resource that worked for them can also work for someone else. So at the Coffee Oasis, my youth development workers have a program called Hope Inc. It's a job training class. And what's amazing about this job training program is it's kind of like this complete package in that first you get Six job training classes that tell you how to obtain a job, then how to maintain a job, and then how to do the job. And along the way, you're paid stipends for doing so. So for the first six classes, you get a $50 stipend check. And then you're placed in after these classes to an internship of 100 hours. And then at your 20-hour mark, there's an evaluation between you and the manager of your intern site, which is a local business owner. And you will then get paid on your progress another stipend of about $100. At 60 hours, you get another stipend of $150. At 100 hours, you get another stipend of $200. And if you get the job, right, if you get the job, you get another bonus check of $100. So you're getting all the way up to $600 in stipend checks just for doing this program. And we had a young man who just recently completed this program. He had done the entire thing. He had done his job training classes. He was very eager, excited. He went through his internship. He did a really good job, and they offered him the job. And at his final evaluation with the job training instructor, this is Susan. She's one of my favorite people in Port Orchard. She's my prayer warrior friend. This young man said he had really appreciated everything that the Coffee Oasis had done for him, and he wanted to know if he could pay back the stipends once he received his job, his first check, or second check, or, or as he was making the money. Shocking, right? But that's exactly what it is. This young man, after working the job training program, was so excited about everything that he had learned and the meaningful skills that he had received that it was no longer about the reward. It was about telling other people about it so that it could make a difference. It was about replacing the money so someone else could benefit. It was this give back principle that I think we see in principle eight of Celebrate Recovery. It's the transformation that takes place that turns into giving back so that others can experience that same transformation that you personally have experienced. So principle eight is, yield myself to God to be used to bring this good news to others, both by my example and by my words. So the first part of principle eight is very similar to principle five. Voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life. So you should kind of notice this pattern, right? Because we say yield ourselves to God, 
If you remember in the beginning, we are not God, but God is real. God cares about us. God wants to rescue us. We consciously commit ourselves to God, to Christ's care and control. We have to take careful inventory. We need to voluntarily submit to God so that he can make changes. If you guys didn't notice, it's a continuation of what we've already been doing. It's realizing that we are not in control, that God is. God is real, and we need to commit to him so that he can work in and through us to share this good news with other people. And the second part is so that we can be used to bring the good news to others. So what is this good news? The good news is simply that Jesus Christ is God's son, that we were once separated from God by our sin, but that Jesus died in our place for our sins on the cross, and that if we believe in him, that we have been restored back to relationship with God, and we can now have a full life and live in freedom as we walk with him. That's it. So to break this down, we've yielded ourselves to God that we are able to be used as instruments to share the good news with other people through our words and our actions. And when looking for an example of how this might have been played out in Scripture, I was drawn to the story of the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. And this is a remarkable story, and we've talked about it quite a bit here because it's truly beautiful, this transformation that we see. And as we see the story of the Samaritan woman, I hope that we walk away with how it looks to lead someone through the eight principles of Celebrate Recovery. In this story, we are going to see Jesus as the ultimate Celebrate Recovery leader, bringing the Samaritan woman step by step through the recovery process. So I wrote it in a story format. So you guys close your eyes. All right. I tried really hard not to make this like a book report, guys. So I want you to enjoy this one. I work really hard for you. Okay. It was a warm day in Samaria, and Jesus had been walking for some time. Being quite tired from the long journey Jesus had been on that, he noticed a really old well. This well was said to be around since the time of Abraham. Narrator, side note. This is a cool spot where we kind of see this Old Testament, New Testament connection. Make note of that in your mind. Since it was about noon and he had been walking all morning, Jesus decided to sit and rest for a moment. Jesus sat by the well looking far off, taking in the beautiful scenery when something very unusual happened. A woman appeared heading toward the well alone to draw water. This was a very odd moment, you see, because the people of Samaria were so familiar with drawing water as a communal act. The women of the town of Samaria would come together and share much laughter and stories together about what was taking place in their lives at the well. However, not this woman. This one woman was alone and she was casting a long shadow. This woman was familiar with the practice of drawing water from the well. She used to come here often and take part in drawing. Whether with the other neighborhood women, with the other neighborhood women, 
But those days were long gone, and what felt safe was no longer safe, because although God had made her special, somewhere along the way, she had forgotten what that meant and no longer felt that way. She exchanged the truth of being worthy of love and being special to her father for the idea of being unlovable and unwanted. She spent her days trying to find love in people. She married one man who promised to love her, but that marriage ended horribly. She then went to another marriage where the next man said he might grow to love her, but as the years passed, she realized that wasn't true, and that one came to an end too. She then met a man who maybe could love her, but as years went by and that marriage ended, she met yet another man, and this man didn't love her at all, but at least he owned a house and he could pay his bills. She could have somewhat of a decent life. However, with no real spark, this one wouldn't end well either. And this woman, when all was said and done, had been married five times and now lived with a man who wasn't her husband. For this woman, love seemed like just a word. She had been longing for true love, but hadn't felt truly loved in a long time. She had gone from an idea of love to a future love, to maybe being loved, to maybe being able to be loved. She went from lovable to unlovable to worthless. Not only did she not have the love of a husband, but she was also not loved nor respected by the society that she was a part of. The Samaritan woman was stuck in the sin that engulfed her life and the consequences of sin were choking out her very existence. Her life by all manners would be seen by any onlooker as unmanageable and out of control. And as Jesus saw this woman... He decided to break the silence. Would you give me a drink? The woman couldn't believe that somebody actually wanted to talk to her. However, this wasn't just any person. This was a Jewish man, someone her people told her a long time ago that she could not have anything to do with. She looks down and then she immediately starts to try to disqualify herself by pointing out their differences. We do that, right? Why would you ask me for a drink? We aren't even supposed to be talking to each other today. But Jesus sees past this. Jesus sees this woman not only as she is this very moment, but who she was always intended to be. So he begins to talk again and offers her an invitation. Woman, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you would have asked him for a drink and he would have given you living water. You see, the woman has been feeling the way she has felt about love for a long time, that this idea of receiving anything from anyone must come with a catch. Thinking this must be too good to be true, she works again at disqualifying herself. I am sure you noticed, Jesus, that you don't have any tools, and this well is very deep. Do you suppose that you are greater than the ancestors I've had that came and drew water for their herds and family? How will you get this water? Jesus, without skipping a beat or allowing this woman to dwell on her thoughts of herself, responds again with the same invitation. Truly, I tell you that anyone who drinks from this well will thirst again, but anyone that has tasted the living water I offer will be satisfied and thirst no longer. Something seems so different the woman started asking, is this what I have been waiting my whole life for? Is there something more than the water in the well that we were just talking about? Her mind was racing. What if he leaves me? What if he knew the truth about me? 
He'd probably get up and leave this well. And I'm sick of trying. I'm sick of coming to the well alone. I'm sick of all the voices in my, my head that are telling me that I'm unlovable and worthless. I need something else. The woman had become desperate. Immediately the woman said, Okay, give me this water. How do I drink this living water? And Jesus said, go get your husband. Have you ever had someone bring up something to you that you were embarrassed or shameful of? So you kind of squirm a little bit and you think of, how can I tell this half-truth instead of a full truth? So I'm not exactly lying. I'm just not admitting fully what's taking place. So it kind of looks like this, you know. Well, I haven't done that in a while. And while that's true, you maybe have done that within the week that you're living in, whether that's telling a lie whether that's an addiction of some sort, whether it's a behavioral thing that you're embarrassed of. Or I didn't spend all the money, which you didn't spend the $50, but you spent $45.50. We do that to protect ourselves, don't we? So thinking she might be able to kind of lighten this blow that Jesus had just said, I do not have a husband, was her response. And Jesus, desiring this woman to have the freedom and love she has always longed for, decides to call her bluff. You are correct. You do not have a husband. You have had five husbands, and the man that you are with now is not your husband. And she was cut to the core. There were no secrets left, but Jesus wasn't leaving. Jesus sat there. He didn't see her sin as something to lord over her. He didn't compare what she had done with someone else and what they had gone through. He didn't condemn her. But he showed her her sin so she could accept it, confess it, and then live in the freedom he was offering to her. The woman agreed and said, I see you know a lot about me. You seem like a prophet. She then kind of does this verbal dance with him about the differences between Samaritan and Jewish people. She then says, well, I know there is a Messiah that is called the Christ that is going to come. And Jesus responds, I, the one you speak of, is he. And the woman Suddenly, feeling the culmination of love like an earthquake penetrating her heart, drops the water jar and runs to tell her people. She was running at the very people who had no longer made her welcome in their community. She wasn't thinking about all the stuff that had separated her from them. She could only think that the answer to all the issues she had ever had, the love that she had been waiting for, her ultimate recovery and the healing of her hurt habits and hangups were found in Jesus. She could not stop and was proclaiming, come see the man that told me everything about myself. Could this be the Messiah? She was yelling it louder than any noise that we've probably ever heard in our lives. Come see him. Come see him. And people started to go and see him. And because of this woman, hope was being brought to the Samaritans. And they believed because this woman had something that was so good, she knew she couldn't keep it to herself. I want to briefly point out the eight principles and how they played out in the story. And as I do that, I really want you to imagine with me what that looks like in life, okay? The Samaritan woman is starting where all of us start in our recovery process. You can open your eyes if I didn't say that. That was a long story. She has tried so many different things, but realizes that in and of herself, she is powerless in her tendency to do wrong things, and her life has become unmanageable. She has been broken emotionally, mentally, and physically. She is tired, and her sin and what was plaguing her was well known not only by herself, but those around her. She had become a societal reject. She is now at the well alone and lonely. 
Her life was in shambles. That's principle one. We admit that we are not God, that we are powerless over our tendency to do the wrong thing and our lives are unmanageable. If you guys remember in the Celebrate Recovery journey, it's not meant to be done alone. And so it takes Jesus to help her along her recovery journey. And this leads us to the next principle. Earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and he has the power to help me recover. In the story, we see the Samaritan woman is approached by Jesus. Jesus knew that Jewish people and Samaritans did not like each other. They differed over religious practices and would not address each other publicly. Jesus also knows the Samaritan woman's backstory. Remember, come see the man who knew everything about me. And society had given up on her, but not Jesus. Jesus was purposely coming because he loved the Samaritan woman, faults and all. And Jesus has the power and desires to help her recover. That's at principle two, which leads us to the next principle. Now she has to consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. The Samaritan woman, as she is talking with Jesus, comes to understand what he is offering. She believes the words he is saying. She's desperate, so she responds, give me this water, so she's committing, that I don't have to come to continue, well, so that I don't have to continue coming to this well to draw water. She was tired of trying everything else. Nothing else seemed to work. It's funny, right, the things that we turn to when we need help. And I was just thinking of a few things like deep breathing, dieting fads, the latest and greatest medicine, the new gizmo that helps straighten your back and massages your neck at the same time. Or how about self-help books? None of those things are evil in and of themselves, okay? That's not what I'm trying to tell you. But we turn to those things in our times of greatest need. But that's not what we need to do. We need to commit ourselves to Christ, his care and control, because he is the answer that this woman found. So these So this leads us to the fourth principle. Openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and someone I trust. We kind of act like this woman when we're confronted with sin. We tend to start disqualifying ourselves. We do this through these labels and statements that we kind of add to ourselves. And she probably did the same thing. You know, she knew. She knew while she was talking to Jesus, everything that she was working with and she was fighting against in her own mind. How do we label ourselves? How about this? An alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. Or I'm a drug addict. I'm a liar, a sex addict, a thief, unlovable, unworthy. Some statements we tend to make, if these people knew the truth about me, they would want me nowhere near them. If they knew what I did just the other day, they might reject me. If they knew the awful things I said about them in anger, that's a big one. When we find out somebody said something about us, we get so angry. But Jesus knows all of these things you think, and he not only sees them, but sees past them and sees you as who you are to be. So he cares about you and desires to use his power to bring you through this recovery. She could have ran or she could accept it. The woman accepts her sin and then continues through this recovery conversation with Jesus. It's that she wants to be free and she's come so far and she has to keep moving. So five, voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. Jesus was calling her to trust. She was not only seeing herself now as she was in the past, but she was also starting to see herself as Jesus saw her. That's why she dropped the jar. 
Six, evaluate all my relationships. This one's kind of a little different because the only relationship we see in this interaction is between her and Jesus. But I'm guaranteeing you that at the transformation that took place with her and Jesus talking there, she probably thought a lot about the five husbands she had before and what had happened. And she probably thought about the man that was living with her. And I guarantee she went home with a resolve that I got to talk about some things. You know what I'm talking about. And so I'm like... It definitely hit me. Um, Principle seven, it's just a little different. Not because I don't believe she reserved time to talk and learn about God, but because she was with Jesus personally. And he was showing her the things that she needed to know. And as she was doing that, she was learning about Jesus and she was wanting to be more like Jesus. And Jesus had transformed and challenged her and she went. And that gave her the power to do principle eight. She literally left the jar that she was carrying to go do principle eight. Yield myself to God to be used to bring this good news to others, both by my example and by my words. Action was a fast response. When we see the disciples approach Jesus to talk to him about the woman he's talking to, the very next statement is that she ran. Okay? She didn't stop and go, well, what were you guys talking about? She was like, I got to go. Because I just heard the best news of my life and I got to tell other people about it. The entire trajectory of her life had changed. What she believed about herself, Jesus saw past in order to see who she was meant to be. The Samaritan woman who by societal standards is deemed lowest of the low among the living, not welcome in society, accepts her sin, allows Jesus to clean it up, and goes to tell everyone she didn't care what she looked like anymore to these people. She knew who Jesus had made her to be. She's not looking back and worrying about what used to define her. So she's running, saying, come, meet him. And what happens as a result? John 4, 39 through 42. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of that woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more people became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. People came to believe. This woman who had been taken through recovery turned back around and then went and told people about it. The interaction, the going through of the eight steps at the well with the Samaritan woman created a leader who is now running into those darkest places to the people who have been deemed hopeless and living in an awful dread and tearing back the dark veils of sin and shame so that people can see a light that's greater than the light they've ever seen. And that light is the hope that is Jesus Christ. This was something so good that she could not keep it to herself. However, as we have the last few weeks gone over what we need to do, these eight principles, to be someone who embodies principle eight, there are three things that the Samaritan woman had to stop doing that we could learn and adopt into our own lives. And as I went through these, I was basically preaching to myself because I can be so insecure And I can forget who Jesus is supposed to be in my life. The first thing that we need to stop doing that we get from this text so that we can bring the good news to others is we need to stop keeping it to ourselves. Remember how I asked you earlier if you had something that was so good that you just had to share? Have you ever allowed the good news to become something that was too good to keep to yourself? We were never meant to keep the good news to ourselves. 
we are supposed to show it, according to principle eight, in our words and actions, or actions and words. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, you are the light of the world, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and give lights to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So it shouldn't surprise us that when Jesus had become real to the Samaritan woman, that she acts almost instantaneously. Look at verse John, verse found in John 4, 28 through 29. Then leaving her jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Something so incredible had happened in this woman's world that what she came to know as good news was uncontainable. She literally leaves the water jug. In her mind, nothing was more important than the good news she had received. The task at hand was secondary. This is the best news she ever received. And she had to make sure that this news was going to be shared. And it was for other people to hear. Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring the good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. Also restated in Romans, Romans 10, 15, and how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I bet this woman had thought that there was nothing in her life that would ever be beautiful again. She was beaten down, but this news was beautiful and her feet were now beautiful as she was going and sharing what she had learned with other people. Jesus is here leading her through recovery, changing her narrative. And now she was going back to unlock the prison doors that others had created for themselves by sin and shame. Isaiah 61, 1-2, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Because she had yielded herself over to God, she was now able to be used as an instrument for his purposes. So remember, we need to stop keeping it to ourselves. The second thing that she stopped doing that we need to also stop doing, and this one's my big one, stop feeling ashamed. I'm really preaching to myself. It's really easy for me to hide under guilt and shame. And I tend to label myself with my hurts, habits, and hangups. Do any of these statements sound familiar? You are a failure because your idea didn't work. You will never change. There's no hope for you. You've tried everything. You always make mistakes. You are a mistake. You are so broken that maybe the good news isn't for you. No one is going to believe you anyways. On most days when I'm by myself, I can tend to wallow in these things, almost forgetting the promises that God has said about me. The strength you need to work through the shame doesn't come through an ability to fake it till you make it or a mantra that you say to yourself or a secret medicine that heals all your ailments. The answer is Jesus. It's a position. If you're waiting for the past not to exist, that's never going to happen because it's part of your story. We need to trust Jesus with it. But your position in your past experience can change. And instead of looking toward the past at the sin and the shame, looking forward to Jesus and what he's doing. How many of you are tired of trying to cover up your shame? 
How many of you are ashamed at some of the things you did to attempt to cover up your shame? Jesus' love and offer of recovery was so much greater than anything that had threatened to turn her over to her past. How, more, how interesting and more impactful must it have been to the Samaritans when the woman was running into their village to tell them? They knew everything about her. Weren't you just a lady at the well whining about your life? What just happened? What's the secret? Why do you seem different? Many of us would say we have committed our lives to Christ, but do our lives say, come and see? Those things that have brought you shame and embarrassment are things that other people are currently struggling and looking for freedom from. Has the healing and recovery of our habits, hurts, and hang-ups created a place where we can talk about these things and offer freedom to those that are still stuck? Her shame was no longer relevant because she now saw the source of her confidence as Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3, 4-5, through 5, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency comes from God. It's her position. She wasn't ashamed because she didn't see herself with her own lens. She saw herself with Christ's lens. How can we be confident that Jesus is the correct response. And it's this, because Psalm 103, 8 through 12 says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our inequities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. If Jesus has forgiven our sins, we do not have to hold on to them or live in fear of eventual punishment. So if you have confessed your sin, there is nothing to be ashamed of anymore. You should be able to run into the neighboring town and scream at the top of your lungs what Jesus has done for you. Because you are not the enemy, you are now loved. And that love covers a multitude of sins. This is a message worth carrying. The cross was more important than what she had experienced. It's that give back principle in number eight. So the last thing I need you to do is you need to stop benching yourself. And you guys know I'm a sports fan, so you know we were going to go this way. <laughs> Y'all know, I, I, this story came to mind. It was kind of painful, and I wanted to share it with you because I really feel like you'll enjoy it. And it's okay if you laugh or awe. I was a little boy. It made me go back quite a ways. I remember playing Little League Baseball on miniature fields in downtown Lyons, New York. I played for the worst team in the league, the Tigers. <laughs> we were kind of the joke of the league, almost like the Bad News Bears. We had this one guy that could hit home runs. His name was Josh Belli. We'd be like, there's Big Josh. But everyone else, we were kind of like the oddball group, you know. I was probably the worst person to ever play Little League Baseball. I'm sure of it. I had two hits. No, sorry, excuse me. Don't let me lie to you. I had one hit in two seasons. <laughs> in my final season playing, I had been pegged a lot. I got pegged in my feet, trying to get out of the way. I got pegged in my back. And Tim Brinkman of the A's, you'll never forget these things, like... He pegged me with a baseball on the side of the neck as I was trying to get out of the way because it was crazy. So in my final season playing, it was my very last at bat. And who was I going to face 
but none other than blonde-haired, handsome, wild man, Billy Sargent. That is, this, he, he was the Cubs pitcher. You would see this guy throw this crazy fastball, and you'd just be like, whoa, you know? But for every one he'd throw down the line, he threw many more that were all over the place. <laughs> and I was afraid to be pegged. So this season, with all those times being pegged, Billy was a threat in my mind. So in fear, I became crippled. This is a true story. And I went up to my coach, Jim Finch, and I said, Jim, and he, I said, Mr. Finch, and he said, yes. I go, I would like to pull myself from the lineup, please. And uh, which he did. And I didn't play my last at bat. And I regret that because today I would hit a home run. I know I would. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> My fear is what made me bench myself. And that fear a lot of times sounds like this. You're probably not going to hit anyways. He's going to nail you. Look at all these people who are going to watch you strike out. We do this to ourselves. Here's some common ways you might have done it. My coworker is more than likely going to laugh at me for not wanting to be a part of the cursing and crude jokes. I'll probably be rejected if I share my actual beliefs. We just haven't gotten there yet. Don't wait. I have only been a Christian for a year. I used to party with some of these people. They're not going to understand. They won't want to be my friends anymore. But the gospel is so opposite because instead of benching ourselves, it should be what keeps us moving forward. The Samaritan woman, going by her stats and things that had happened in her life, had every reason to bench herself. Her sin was laying right in front of her. Jesus' invitation to rescue her stands even in the face of his awareness that she didn't add up. The strength she receives through Jesus empowers her to see past and becomes the fuel for her to spread the gospel to others. It reminds me of this other person, Saul. Saul hated Christians. He personally persecuted them and also had ordered some of them to be killed. Little did he know that his encounter with Jesus was going to change his trajectory. Paul had every single reason to bench himself. But in the same way, he was empowered and became to share the good news. This man had taken many people's lives for simply proclaiming the gospel. And when Jesus came into his life, all that changed. And he started sharing twice as much as probably anyone he wasn't looking back. He could only look forward. Look at his words in 1 Timothy 1.16. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, this is when he called himself the chief of sinners. He said, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So be like the Samaritan woman and be like Paul. Allow your growth past the hurts, habits, and hangups to spur you to share the good news. Remember where you have been and allow that to help you share with others who might be waiting to recover, who might be waiting to hear the good news. As we draw to a close this morning, we might be wondering what we can do with this information. Well, one, I want you to choose one of the stop doing statements. And I want you to make that your statement that you're going to stop doing in order to share the good news. If you choose to stop keeping it to yourself, choose someone that you've wanted to share with for a very long time. Because guess what? You guys have hit that point. You might say, we're not there yet. You are there yet. You have been that person's friend for a long time and you've thought about it long enough. It's time to get off the bench.
to the second thing. If you choose to stop being ashamed or the other stop, spend time with God confessing your shame and ask him to reveal to you why you feel that way. Also, maybe confess to one faithful friend so they can help encourage you on why you shouldn't be ashamed. Now, if you choose to stop benching yourself, I want you to start replacing the things that you think disqualify you, the lies you have lived behind with the truth of what God's word says. There's an I am list that a lot of the leaders here would be able to provide you with that you could look through and really find out what God says about you. Because what you think, those negative things, are just lies. Two, the second action. So the first was I want you to take a stop statement. I want, to make it, I want you to make it your statement. The second thing is I want you to quit disqualifying yourself. I said this twice, okay? Because Dave Frederick once said to me in a moment of low, he said, if we were looking hard enough, we would all have reasons to be disqualified for one reason or another. And usually that statement was followed by, we are who we are only by the grace of God. And that's biblical. So cling to Jesus and use the recovery of those hurts, habits, and hang-ups that you have been brought through because someone has probably been struggling with the same thing and you're going to help them. So stop disqualifying yourself. So stop keeping it to yourself. Stop being ashamed. Stop benching yourself. If you have committed to Christ and have committed to work the principles, then he has given you everything you need to drop your water jar this morning when you leave here. You are no longer defined by your past. You can look forward. We have truly traveled a long road these last eight weeks. And as we work through the eight principles of Celebrate Recovery, we see that recovery is only allowed through Jesus. We hope that as you have worked the eight principles, also known as the road to recovery, that you have been able to see that consciously committing to Christ and submitting ourselves to him is the only way that you will obtain true freedom. We hope that as we talk through this series, that you have been encouraged to draw near to God, that through these experiences, you are feeling prepared to go and share the good news. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you that you have given us an example of the Samaritan woman. And I pray that you would empower us this morning as we leave here to share the good news. God, we offer our lives to you. God, we, we realize that we are not God, that our lives are unmanageable, but that you are there, that you care for us, that we are going to commit to you. God, help us to take inventories. Help us to evaluate the relationships in our lives. Help us to make time, God, in our day consciously for you. And help us to share your good news with others. In your son's name, amen. Um, so we're going to, as the worship team starts playing, we're offering communion. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he had took the bread and he said, This is my body that was broken for you. And as you eat it, do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup in the same way. And he said, This is the cup of the new covenant. It's in my blood. And as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And as we do that, right, we're proclaiming his coming kingdom. So I encourage you to do that with us this morning. Thank you, guys.